Good morning. Welcome, everybody. Kids, you are dismissed to Grace Place. Go have fun, enjoy, run, play. We love you. See you later. We'll be praying for you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. How are we feeling today? Good, excellent. One day, I hope that I'm going to ask that question. I'm just going to get so many answers and get like knocked onto the floor. That's that's the dream. That's that's the dream. We're working there. We're getting there, little by little. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Galatians. Galatians, not Ephesians. Galatians. Uh, we're going to finish up chapter five this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you should open them up. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one that is in a seat back because we're going to do a lot of bouncing today. Today, every day is a good day to have the Bible open. Today's a real good day because there's not a lot of text on the screen, and you're, we're going to do some hopping around. So you're looking for, if you're using the seatback Bibles, I think it's 974, I believe. Uh, 974 is where you want to be because, we're, like I said, we're going to do a lot of bouncing today. Um, community groups are up, are running, are live, are happening, are wonderful, and a great place to engage, to connect, to find new relationships, to strengthen old relationships, and to just have a place where you can um, be open and honest and real and genuine. And so our community groups run. We have groups all throughout the week. We'd love for you to plug in and connect. Even if just for one week, we'd love for you to connect and do that. So we have information on our website. There's some at the back table if you're here in person. Uh, we'd love for you to be able to get connected in our community groups. Uh, and if you have any questions, you can always ask me, send an email my way, and I'd be happy to get you plugged in and connected for that. Uh, as we get going, I would like to thank our, uh, our worship team, who loves to get to do what they do and are talented and gifted and love to get to um, not just play music together on Sundays, but to help lead us into worship, to help to proclaim the praises of our God and to help us to focus on him. And it is a, a great joy and blessing. And I, and I um, you know, it's a lot easier to come up and preach a sermon after being led into the presence of God through worship, through song, uh, by our worship team. So um, everybody who's on the worship team, thank you very much for all the ways that you serve and love and the intentionality that you give uh, to making sure that we have the opportunity to uh, worship together. So thank you guys. And if you are interested at all in joining the worship team, if you have musical talents and you'd like to um, use them to help and serve our congregation, we'd love to get you connected. You can use those connect cards that are on your seat backs or uh, on the website, and we can get you connected with Daniel, and he will talk to you about uh, what it looks like to get you plugged into the worship team. So, uh, as I said, we're going to be in Galatians 5 this morning. we got a lot to cover this morning, a lot of bouncing around, as I said. Um, for those of you who are more linear, like your, your sermons to be A to B to C, uh, today is uh, a pretty linear sermon. Technically speaking, I only have two points in this sermon. Um, one is that there is a battle, between, a battle within all Christians, and two, uh, there is four ways to uh, not indulge the flesh. Having said that, my first point has about 20 subpoints, and my second one has about six. So technically, it's a two-point sermon, but it's a pastor two-point sermon, so it's got a lot of little extra pieces to it. Um, so that's why, like I said, it's going to be a good week to have your text open. Last week, we looked at the first half of chapter 5, where Paul is challenging the Galatians in their way of thinking. He's asking why Having been set free, having been uh, accepted the grace of God, you are set free from the slavery to sin and from works. Why would you then go and put yourself back under the yoke of slavery? Why would you go back into that once you have been set free? And he gave a theory that basically said, if you are purposely putting yourself under the law, if you are trying to justify yourself by the law, it really reveals your heart and the reality that you aren't actually a Christian because the Christian has been set free set free to live and serve and rest in grace. And so today he's going to continue that theme and the theme that he's used regularly throughout this letter where he is comparing and contrasting what the works or today he's going to talk about what the flesh wants and desires versus what the spirit wants and desires and what those things have to promise and to offer. So that is our plan for this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we will jump in. So please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. God, we thank you uh, for this morning, for this opportunity to worship you, to celebrate you, to enjoy you, to be in your presence, to pursue you. God, we thank you for 
this community that you have given us, this community of people that is diverse and humble and desires to know you more and desires to strengthen one another. This place, this community, this church is a great gift you have given us. We have this opportunity every Sunday to come together and find rest and encouragement and and challenge from you. And we know that Christian community, we know that church life is not always neat and clean and and sometimes it's hard and messy, but we thank you for how this place and, and, and us as a community shapes us as individuals. God, we thank you for the way that your word guides us and reveals you to us. And we pray this morning that as we open your word that we are encouraged and challenged and edified and in places rebuked, that we are able to be the kind of people who hear your word and respond to it. So Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in chapter 5, chapter five, starting in verse 16. We're going to go to the end of the chapter, and then, like I said, we're going to go back and uh, bounce around. So, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So as I said, the first point of this definitely two-point sermon is that there is a battle within every Christian. Within every Christian is a perpetual battle happening, a conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. And we're talking specifically here about Christians, people who have put their faith and trust in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that alone for the forgiveness of their sins. Those who are under the promise, as we've talked about, those who are living by grace. So if you are not a Christian, if you have not put your faith in Christ, if you're still wondering and and searching and seeking and questioning, then amen, we thank you that you're here, we thank you that you're, you're with us this morning, but really we're not talking to you because you just have the flesh, and we're going to break down what does that mean uh, in, a, in a few minutes here. But Christians, you have a perpetual battle happening within you. And here's how it works. You see, you get, you get saved. You put your faith in, in Jesus. You believe. You confess your sins. You repent of your sins. You believe and choose Jesus. And in that moment, at that moment, you receive the full and complete righteousness of Christ Jesus and have received the Holy Spirit. In that moment, you are justified. We've talked about this word, justification, to be declared innocent, blameless, righteous, to have right standing with God. You are completely, totally, and fully justified at the moment of salvation. Your standing with God, your relationship with God has been fixed, has been established based on your faith in Christ. That's who you are now and forever in relation to God. You are forgiven, loved, accepted as much now as you will ever be, fully and completely. You can't make him love you or accept you anymore or any less based on your actions or inactions. And from that moment of salvation until you meet Jesus, so whether it's you die or you're here when he comes back, whichever comes first, we are going through the process of sanctification, being made more and more holy, more and more like Jesus. This process is happening every day, every minute, every moment, It is a process because within every Christian, as we've said, there is still the flesh. We still have this part of us that we wrestle with, that we fight with, that we are fighting against. And so when we're talking about the Spirit here in this passage, and you can even see it in your text, when we're talking about the Spirit, there's a capital S there. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity who is a person unto himself, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit, God. 
When you put your faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, all of him, fully and completely. You have access to him. He leads us. He guides us. He challenges us. He corrects us. He rebukes us. He, he protects us. He advises us. He is a helper, what scripture will say. He does all of these things. He is leading us toward the opportunities to grow us to being more and more holy, to make us more and more sanctified, more and more like Jesus. And so on the one hand, Christian has the Holy Spirit in you. He is with you and for you at all times, but we also have the flesh. In much of Paul's writing, he uses the word flesh to refer to our sin nature. Now, he is not talking about our physical body. He's not saying our physical body is bad. There was a teaching that had this, that kept this idea, this dualistic teaching that said, your spirit, your soul is good and holy, your flesh, your body is weak and evil and sinful and wicked. But we know that's not the case because God made us. And when God made us, yes, the world has been corrupted. Yes, the world has been influenced by sin. But go back to Genesis when God makes everything and when God makes man, it was good. We have within us, though, a sin nature. Due to the fall, due to Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, we have within us a sin nature. We are born with it. We say it all the time here. Our default wiring, our out-of-the-box wiring is that of rebellion against God. And so our flesh is that part of us that, that holds that, is that sinful, wicked, evil desires, that rebellion against God. So we have the Spirit leading us to be more and more like Jesus, and we have the flesh trying to serve and service our own selfish desires. And you can see how that's going to create conflict. Paul lays out a little bit here of what the flesh looks like, uh, starting in verse 19. And I think it's interesting that we have these two lists in this passage, right? The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and the works of the flesh is much longer than the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to break these down real quick. I'm not going to read through them again, but oftentimes, um, but what I want to do first is, though, I want to point out in verse 19, um, it's now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh are evident. They are observable. They are seen. They are known. They are external. Now, we might not be able to see the flesh in what Paul is referring to, but you can see the actions, the consequences of it. This list here is something is sometimes grouped into a few different categories, which I think can be helpful for us this morning. You see the first grouping right at the top are the sensual or sexual sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now look, sex is good. It is a gift from God. It's good and beautiful and wonderful when pursued in the way it was intended to be pursued in a marriage covenant relationship between one male husband and one female wife. Outside of a marriage covenant relationship, sex and sexual sin can do immense damage because sex is not just a physical act. There is an intimacy and a connection that affects our minds and emotions. It is powerful. Sexual immorality, this word here in the Greek is the word porneia, where we get our word pornography. It's sort of a catch-all term for sex outside of the marriage covenant. It is the pursuit of sexual gratification outside of a marriage covenant. See, now many people are going to talk about how our culture today is over-sexualized and using sex inappropriately, and you wouldn't be wrong, right? Our culture today has lost its mind when it comes to sex, but this is not something new. Sex outside of marriage and general sexual immorality, finding sexual gratification outside of a marriage covenant was so common in the Greco-Roman world, it was seen as normal, a regular part of your to-do list on a day-to-day -day basis. It was pure chaos when it came to sexual morality in those days. Now, our culture has tried to push this agenda, this idea that sex needs to be everywhere all the time because we ourselves are sexual beings, so let's not repress that. Let's celebrate it and applaud it and engage with it in every avenue of the world instead of, instead of repressing it. Let's flaunt it at every opportunity. Yes, we are sexual beings. God gave us those desires. But when it's used to exploit, when they are used to abuse, when it's used to turn people into objects, when sex and sexuality is used as a weapon or a, po a political debating point, we have corrupted something good and beautiful God has given us. And when something that is good and special is everywhere all the time, eventually it ceases to be special. But rather just becomes common and another casual cheap thing we take for granted. 
The next category in this is idolatry and sorcery. Now, oftentimes, we're going to lump those two things together and say these are antiquated. Right? This is, it's a different world now. It's a different place. It's a different time. Idolatry is not a thing anymore. Sorcery is not a thing anymore. You want to bet? Idolatry is taking anything and putting it above God, making it the most important thing in your life, above and beyond anything else. You think we don't do that with work? You think we don't do that with our relationships, with our families, with our kids, with our physical appearance, with our car, our bank account? We can do it with food. We can do it with drink. Idolatry is not a time-gone-by concept, and sorcery is also still rampant. It is still everywhere. Right? We hear the phrase, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And really what that means is that people want to pick and choose. They want to take different pieces from different religions and sample a little bit from everywhere. I just want to put some good vibes out into the universe. Because if I can think positively, then positive things are going to come back to me. So I'm going to take a little bit of that karma idea. I like that. A little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of this idea of if I can meditate, if I can get my, into the zone where I can empty myself and I can disconnect from the world around me, that'll help me grow. And so I take a little bit of this, I take a little bit of that, and then I throw some Jesus on top of it all because at the end of the day, it's pretty much all the same, right? And that's my religion. What that is is sorcery. That's witchcraft. That's wicked, and it's evil. Third grouping there in, in Paul's list is the relational issues. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy. These are all tied to how we treat one another, which flies directly in the face of what Paul said earlier in verse 12 in the letter where he talks about the way to fulfill the law, the way to, is to obey God is found in loving your neighbor as yourself. See, the flesh will inevitably bring about broken relationships because the flesh is all about what I want in the moment, regardless of who it impacts or affects or how. And then finally, we get to verse 21. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He puts drunkenness and orgies together. Now, some of us might think, well, I think orgies should go back up at the top, right? Go up into the sexual immorality category. But he leaves it down here because what he's really talking about is addiction. This has to do with being consumed by something other than God, giving yourself over to something completely and fully with no regard for the consequences that come with it, removing your self-restraint, your self-control, your desire or even ability to actually be present in the moment and even give yourself the chance to, discern, to determine if something is morally right or wrong. And Paul, knowing who we are as people, knowing who he is as a person, adds at the end of it, and things like these. Paul is straight up saying, for those of you who are list checkers, for those of you who want to put yourselves under the law, those of you who say, okay, well now, as long as I don't do this list, I'm good to go. He says, and things like these, meaning this is not an exhaustive list. There's other things that didn't make the list. He closes out this with a warning in verse 21. He says, I warn you as I have warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He closes out with a warning, a warning he has already given to the Galatians probably that first time he was there with them as he was sharing the gospel the first time. The person who does these things, or more literally translated, the person who makes a habit of doing these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. He isn't saying if you get drunk, you can't get into heaven. He's not even saying if you struggle, keyword struggle, fight, fight against with drunkenness, then you can't get into heaven. What he is saying is if you make a habit of, if you are giving into your desires for these things with no repentance, with no remorse, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because the spirit isn't in you and you aren't actually a Christian. Because a Christian has different desires, different passions, different wants. He said it in verse 16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh and the Spirit are in constant conflict with one another. And so the person indulging the flesh does not have the Spirit in them and therefore will not inherit the kingdom of God, but instead will inherit eternal damnation and separation from God in hell. And so Paul's warning is just that, a very serious warning for them and for us. Look, you know you. You know the real you. 
you and God know the real you and know whether or not Christianity is real for you or it's just a thing that you do. And so we have the works of the flesh and they are in constant conflict against the spirit. These things are at odds with one another. Now on the other side, as I said, we have the fruit of the spirit. This list, this, these verses are for some of you who grew up in church, who've been around church a long time, these are things that you've memorized. You've got a song that you sing to go along with them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're not going to dive too deep into this list. We actually did that a couple of years ago. Daniel and I were just talking about it. We did a deep dive into this, into each one of these individually over the course of a summer a couple of years ago. And so if you really want to like spend some time just diving into that, uh, I encourage you to go to our website um, or pretty much any other church that has good Bible teaching because they've probably done a series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and you can sit in and listen on all of those. Um, but let's look at them briefly. I, I do want to make a few points on this. Uh, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is grown. Fruit is a byproduct of something else producing it. This list is the fruit of the what? It is the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of your works, not the fruit of your endeavors. It is what the Spirit is doing in and through you. Our sanctification, being made more and more holy, is not about how hard we can work to be good, but it is the Spirit's work in our lives. I got a question for you. It says, these are the fruit of the Spirit. Is fruit singular or plural? Is there an S on the end of fruit? It is singular. It is the fruit, not fruits, of the Spirit. And then there's a list of multiple things, but all of those things are the singular fruit of the Spirit. This is not a pick-and-choose scenario. I'd like some of that joy. Give me some of that gentleness. But you know what? You can keep that self-control. No, and it's not an excuse to say, well, you know what? Patience, patience just isn't my gifting. I'm just not a very patient person. It's just not something God's gifted me with. If you are walking by the Spirit, God is producing all of these things in you, and they are all interconnected with one another. If you have experienced the love of God, the unconditional, never-ending, completely pure, sacrificial love of God, to know that you are loved like that by God, it will produce in you joy. Not just happiness, but joy. A confident trust and satisfaction with God regardless of your circumstances. And because you know and have experienced this kind of love and you have this kind of joy, then when the waves of life come crashing down on you, you can have peace. See, these things are all interconnected with one another. Because with that peace then comes patience to be able to endure. It, has, it comes with it the desire to be kind. Even when you have the chance to exert force and power against someone, instead you choose gentleness. You choose to do good and you exhibit self-control because your peace and your joy are rooted in Christ. When life gets hard, you can be patient and faithful to God because you know he has the power and is in control. And so all of these things are interconnected with one another. God is developing and, and making all of these things and, and growing these things in us. And when it comes to fruit, fruit produces more fruit, right? You cut an apple, and that apple has within it apple seeds to make more apple trees. Love begets more love. Joy begets more joy. These things are the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, meaning they are the byproduct. They are born out of and grown out of the Spirit. It is not the fruit of the works of the Christian who has the Spirit. No, it is the fruit of the Spirit in you doing these things. The farmer can't make the fruit grow any faster. He can plant, and then he's got to wait and let that thing grow. And look at the contrast here with what the flesh and what the Spirit are actually offering us. Because the flesh is offering you things like sexual gratification. Giving yourself into a temporary feeling, moment, emotion for a temporary fix to fulfill a temporary desire and a want that you have in that moment. Whereas the Spirit is offering you love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are long-lasting, ever-growing, ever-strengthening fruit to hold you up throughout this life, to help you engage and walk through this life. But as we've said multiple times already, the flesh and spirit are at odds with one another. So it says right there in verse 17, the desire of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those, they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. Meaning, if you want to do what is of the flesh, but you have the spirit within you, the spirit is going to push back against that and say, no, that is going to cause you harm. That is going to do damage to you. That's not love, that's lust. That's not peace, that's jealousy. That's not joy, that's drunkenness. That's not gentleness, that's fits of anger. But at the same time, when you want to pursue the Spirit, your flesh is going to cry out and say, no, that's boring. That's legalistic. That's not fun. That's not what's best for you right in this moment. See, when the flesh cries out, when the flesh pushes against you, when the flesh is calling out to you, it's always going to be for a selfish desire. The flesh is not trying to get you to succeed and trying to flourish. The, the flesh is trying to get satisfied in that moment then. And so these two things are at war with one another, and it, sometimes it goes season by season. Right? Sometimes this battle can look like a minor skirmish, and sometimes it can be a bloody battle of violence. In those seasons when you're walking with the Lord, when you're connected with him, when you're engaged in community, when you're engaged with, with God, and you're pursuing him, you're loving him, you're enjoying him, you're in the word, you're in prayer, you're meditating on scripture, you're just feeding yourself and doing all the right things. And the flesh rises up and cries out and, and tries to, to pull you into this instant gratification. You're able to hear that voice and know, nah, man, that's a lie. That, that's garbage. That, that's temporary and, and shallow. And it's really not a solution to this problem I'm facing. It's just a temporary fix, and you're able to push back against those things. But then there are those seasons most of them are either tied to when you're the lack of pursuing God in your life or it's a season where you sometimes where you've been walking with the Lord for so long and so faithfully, we get proud and arrogant and we say, I got this all figured out. And Paul's actually going to give us a warning for that at the very end. But in those times where either you're not walking with God or you've become so proud and arrogant about your own walk with God, in those moments when the flesh cries out, we begin to want to pursue that and walk into the desires of the flesh. And those are the times when we need to listen to the Spirit because the works of the flesh are external and evident and right in our face, and it's so easy to just give in because they're right there and they're tangible. If you think back to Genesis and you think back to Adam and Eve and you look at Eve and what the progression she goes through, she sees the fruit hanging on the tree that she knows she's not supposed to eat, and the serpent says it's going to make her wise, and the, the fruit is described as it looks beautiful and it made sense for her to eat it. And there's these all it's tangible, it's right in front of her face, and she's kind of hungry, and so she eats it because... The cries of the flesh, the works of the flesh are external and evident and right there. And sometimes it's just easier to give in. But you can't pursue both the spirit and the flesh at the same time. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You have to pick a lane. Because the spirit and the flesh are against each other. Which is why Paul can say in verse 16, if you are walking in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because what the Spirit wants and what the Spirit is cultivating in us, the fruit of the Spirit, is internal. It's about our heart, it's about our mind, and it's about our soul. Love. Godly love. Agape love, as it's used in, in the Greek. It's not emotion-driven. It's not circumstance-driven. And the same with joy and peace and patience, all of them, really. They're not driven by our circumstances, our emotions, and our feelings in the moment. Otherwise, how could Paul tell us in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice while he's chained up to a wall in prison? How could Jesus, when he's literally being executed on the cross, pray and say, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do? The Spirit brings forth something much deeper within us than what the flesh will. But the flesh is all about the moment. It's about the external. I don't feel good in this moment. I don't, I don't like this situation. So 
I want to feel nothing. I'd, I'd rather feel nothing than feel this, so I'm just going to go get drunk and try and numb myself to the world. I like her. I like him. They're attractive to me. I want to have sex with them. I'm going to pursue that, regardless of what consequences come from it. This person has done me wrong. I am angry, so I'm going to fight them. I've decided that my value and my worth is going to come from how important I can be at work, how much I can rise up, how much I can accomplish, how much I can do, or from what my kids can accomplish and do. All of it is shallow, temporary responses to an internal longing for fulfillment that can only be found in Christ. The flesh will, cr- will claim freedom, will claim that it, you can pursue freedom by pursuing the flesh. You do you. you. You take care of you. You take your truth and you pursue that thing, however it may look, and nobody can tell you otherwise. Nobody can tell you you're wrong and you'll find your freedom. The flesh claims it can satisfy, that it can fulfill, that it can bring freedom, but we've talked multiple times in this letter about how anything outside of Christ is lacking and falling and faltering and failing. In contrast, the Spirit says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. True freedom can only be found in and through him. Everything else is the yoke of slavery we talked about last week. And still, even though we know that, even though the Christian understands that, even though I understand that everything that what God is offering is good and better than what the world is offering, still this battle rages on. And let's be honest, there are seasons where those times when the flesh is crying out, when the flesh is yelling and it feels so good to give in, and sometimes it just feels much easier than battling and fighting against temptation. And so that's our problem. There's this battle raging within us between the flesh and the spirit, and sometimes the flesh wins more often than we would like it to. So how do we battle that? How do we find victory in that? How do we actually see the spirit and follow the spirit? How do we stop indulging the flesh? Point two. In this passage, there are four big verbs that connect to what it looks like to walk with, the, walk with the Spirit. Four big verbs throughout this passage when we're going to look at it. The first one is in verse 16, right at the top. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify, gratify the desires of the flesh. There you go. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you're done. Walk by the Spirit is an Old Testament idiom. It has to do with rabbis calling people to walk with them, to be their students. The idea being that you would follow your rabbi, follow your teacher so closely, so intimately, that when you are off on your own, the way that you talk, the way that you interpret scripture, the way that you just live your life, other people will see your rabbi in you. They will see by the way you conduct yourself who your teacher was. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in such a way so closely with the Spirit that others will see it in you. Walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's dwelling within the believer is a sign that the believer is part of the people of God. To walk by the Spirit means to be open and sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It means to pattern your your life after the influence of the Holy Spirit in you. It is a lifestyle. And here Paul uses it as an imperative with a promise. If you walk by the Spirit, then what logically follows from that is the inability to satisfy the desires of the flesh. Why? Because they're at odds with one another, and you can't pursue both at the same time. If you're driving in your car and your GPS says, turn left, say, I really want to turn right. you got to make a choice. You can't go both ways at the same time. Make a decision. This doesn't really give us a whole lot of wiggle room, does it? There's not a whole lot of gray area there. This idea of, you know... I want to be a Christian, but I want to do it in moderation. There's, there's a middle way, right? I don't want to be one of those jesus free kind of people that everything about my life has to be about Jesus. Everything about my life has to be influenced by Jesus. Walk by the Spirit does not mean just walk by the Spirit on Sundays from 10.30 to 11.45-ish and maybe for an hour or two in community group once a week. It's not compartmentalized when is and isn't spirit walking time. Walk by the Spirit is a time for you to be walking in the Spirit all the time, through your life, with the gospel filtering every aspect of your life, the decisions we make, how we spend our time, how we dress, how we act, where we eat, how we spend our money, who we spend our time with, where we work, how we live, all of these things filtered through the gospel, filtered through the reality of who we are as the sons and daughters of Jesus. 
That's what walking in the Spirit means. It is full and complete lifestyle. And if you're actually walking by the Spirit, if you're actually pursuing walking in the Spirit, then you can't. Paul says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh because you're already doing something else. You're already booked. The calendar's full. Walk by the Spirit, he says, and then he's going to take it a step further. The second verb is in verse 18. He says, be led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When we talk about, we've talked about being under the law a couple of times in this letter. It means the people who want to try and justify ourselves, make our relationship right with God based on our works, our actions, our abilities, our awesomeness. And it can't be done. And if that's you, Paul says last week, you aren't under grace. If you think that you can win your way to God, you aren't actually a follower of, of Christ. For the person trying to check every spiritual box, you can't stop at good enough. You can't stop at mostly good. I'm pretty good. I'm better than most. Because the demand and expectation is perfection. And that's a level that you just can't hit. Right? We live in a world right now where we don't agree on anything. We can't agree on politics. We can't agree on religion. We can't agree on pizza toppings. We can't agree on fashion. We can't agree on who's going to win the game tonight. We can't agree on nothing. But we can all agree nobody's perfect. And if that's the case, if no one is perfect, but the standard God has set is perfection, then what are you doing? You're trying to win a game that's been over and done for a long time. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, he says in verse 18. Because as he said at the beginning of chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set you free, free from the slavery to the law that keeps you captive and held down and perpetually trying to work your way to God. Like, but like Sisyphus, you're never going to get up that hill. You're never going to make it if you're constantly trying to do the work yourself. We want to be led by the Spirit, not just walking with Him, but being led by Him. Let Him take the lead and direct and guide and shape us so that we are not under the law. Because there's a part of our flesh that wants to be under the law. Right? It makes us feel like we have control. It makes us feel like, okay, well, all right, if I can just follow the law, if I can just hit those checkpoints, if I can just do this, that, and the other thing, then God has to like me. Then God has to let me in. It makes us feel like we have control. It makes us feel like we have power. But it's something that will end up leaving you exhausted and broken. You have completely missed the point of what God is, trying, is calling us to. You have completely missed the point of the gospel and of Christ and of grace if you are trying to work and earn your way to him. We avoid indulging the flesh. We in, avoid indulging, trying to put ourselves under the law by walking and being led by the Spirit. The third verb is in verse 25. It says, live, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Live into the new life given to us by Christ. To live by the Spirit is to step into this reality that we are made new. Really, it's tied to that verse way back in chapter 2 that we've read almost every Tuesday for the last like five months. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul will say it when he writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but Christ has made you alive, has raised you from the dead. You have a new life. You have a new way of thinking, new desires, new passions, new hearts. Live in light of that reality. Use that. Things should be different. The way we engage with the world compared to those who don't have the Spirit should be different. Live in light of the grace that you are alive, that you, have, you are a new creation, that Behold, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And the last verb there is also in verse 25. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step is one word, stoieo. This idea being that the Spirit gave you life. You've been made alive in the Spirit, so let him direct your steps. If he has made us alive, let him show you how to live. This word means to stand beside a person to agree with, to follow, to stay in line, to stay in lockstep when it comes to military and marching. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Be in step with the Spirit. And you might hear that and you might say, really, he's just saying the same thing over and over again, just trying to fill the word count. And I pretty much agree with you. Yeah, he's saying the same thing over and over again. 
And so if Paul went out of his way to say the same thing in four different ways, trying to come at it from every different angle, it's probably pretty important. It's probably extremely important. It's probably vital to our earthly and eternal lives. Walk, be led, live by, be in step with the Spirit. But as you do it, Paul's going to close this section out and say, but be careful, because I see how this could go. And he gives a warning there in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Because it's possible to walk, that as you walk in and by and through the Spirit, that conceit can build up within yourself. You get so consumed in your own world that you begin to believe that you are always right and everyone else is always wrong. It's easy for Christians to look at the world and decide, you know what, I'm a Christian, I got the Spirit in me, I read my Bible, I go to church, so clearly the way that I see and engage the world is the correct way. And when we begin to think that way, we become conceited and puff up within ourselves. And what's going to lead to is provoking one another. Because if I'm right and you disagree with me, that makes you wrong. And so let's, let's debate that. Let's argue about that. Let's fight about that. The other landmine you can step on is that I'm so wrapped up in myself. I'm so wrapped up in my own walk and how great I'm doing and how, how much God is, is sanctifying me that then I see somebody else succeed in their religious walk, in their walk with God, and it makes me jealous. Because we have different gifts. I, I'm not gifted the way you're gifted, but I want to be. Or even worse, we have the same gifting and you are exceeding in yours. And it makes me angry and jealous because you have things I don't. And so you're just being faithful to what God is calling you to do and who God has made you and is making you. And my own flesh creeps up and says that I envy your spiritual maturity. So what Paul is saying here is it's possible to walk, be led, live, be in step with the Spirit, and still the flesh is still battling against us. We can say we are in line with the Spirit and still be susceptible to conceit, provoking, and envy. That's why Paul gives this warning. Being connected to the Spirit is a game changer. It changes the way we interact with the world around us. It will be awesome and powerful and life-changing. It will give you a flourishing life. I have come to give them life and life abundant, Christ said. And he does that by giving us the Spirit. But be careful that you don't use that as a weapon. Don't weaponize your faith against the world around you. But somehow we have convinced ourselves that because we are Christians, whatever we believe is the right way to go. And if you aren't a Christian, you're immediately wrong. Not only are you wrong, but I'm going to get vocal and hostile about your wrongness. Even though we know every Christian has a battle within us. We have the flesh and we have the spirit. So you could be a Christian and walking in and with the spirit and still indulge the flesh. So maybe keep that in mind. Maybe keep yourself in check while you might think that you're acting in the spirit by starting that fight, by starting that debate. In actuality, all you're doing is indulging the flesh. That's why verse 24 is so important, I think. I really think it's the linchpin that we need to hang on to throughout this whole passage. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For the people of Christ, the cross broke the grip of flesh and law. We have been given a new life that we didn't earn or win or deserve. It was given to us by grace. The Moody Commentary says that Jesus was crucified as we, Jesus was crucified and we are united to Christ and so in a sense have crucified the flesh. There is a daily need for Christians to consider themselves dead to sin. We can be walking in the Spirit and still have this temptation because the battle is still happening. And the go-to weapon for us, the go-to pushback when the flesh cries out, has to be the gospel. Because it is the gospel that frees us. It is the gospel that gives us life. It is the gospel that broke the chains of slavery to sin and law. It is the gospel that tells us in freedom, in Christ has set us free. You are free those of you who belong to Christ Jesus. He purchased us out of slavery to sin, and so we belong to him. And if that's you, then you have already, you have already won, and you have already, though there is a battle raging within you, you have the power of victory because of Christ. As you battle the flesh, remember that you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's the old you. So just remember who you are, Christian. Remember that you are dead to sin. 
Remember that you are an adopted son and daughter, that you are chosen, that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed, that you are loved, that you have found grace. Remember who you are and what Christ has made you to be. The old you is dead and gone, so no matter how loud that voice is, no matter how enticing an argument the flesh may make, the power in that voice, the substance, the gravitas of that voice is long gone. The slavery to sin is dead. The power of sin is gone. It was defeated at the cross. Jesus was crucified for our sins in our place. And in uniting ourselves to him, we too have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and temptations and lies. He has set you free. For freedom, Christ has made you free. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to the past. You are not the sins that you have committed, and you are not the sins that have been committed against you. You are a child of God. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, stop, pay attention, hear this. The new has come. You don't have to keep pursuing the flesh. You don't have to keep sinning. You don't have to keep walking in darkness. You don't have to keep trying to find your acceptance and your joy and your love and purpose in and of this world because you found it already in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. So stand firm in the reality of who you are and what Christ has done and is doing and will do in and through you. Yes, there is a battle happening, but Christ has already delivered victory when he declared it is finished. So then, let us walk by, be led by, live by, and live in line with the Holy Spirit, who is for you and with you and is cultivating in you his fruit, which will ultimately produce glory and honor to the God who loves you and saved you and calls you his child. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, for many of us who grew up in church, who have walked with you, this wasn't new information. We know. We know that you are light in you. There is no darkness. We know where strength, we know where life is. We know that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are with us. We know all of these things. And yet, We forget, we get distracted, we sometimes just flat out ignore it. Because to give in to the flesh, to indulge the flesh, sometimes is easier, is simpler. It just feels good. In that moment. God, you're calling us to so much more. You have so much more for us. There's so much more flourishing, so much more life, so much more to experience and indulge and and enjoy. If we would just trust you. If we would just realize and, and remember and trust that you are for us. That no matter how sideways and backwards this world may look, that you are in control all the time. You have a plan, and you're working that plan out. God, may we be a people who walk in the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, who live by the Spirit, who are in line with the Spirit. Help us to tune ourselves in to hearing the Spirit more in our lives. And to not just hear, but to obey. And to take those chances and step into those moments. Those moments that you have already predestined us for. You have these moments where we get to step into to proclaim your glory, to to live and, and shine just a little bit of light of the kingdom of God in this broken, dark world if we would just step into those moments, if we would just hear and listen and obey. God, give us hearts and minds that long for that. Help us to be attuned to those things. 
to not disengage from the world around us, to not disengage from this existence, to not just feel like we're just killing time until we get to meet Jesus and go home. Yes, we long for that day where we get to be with Christ forever and ever. But until that day, you have given us a purpose. You have given us the opportunity to step into what you are doing in this world to redeem all things back to yourself. God, help us to wait well. Help us to enjoy this time to be able to glorify you, to be able to walk with you. Oh God, may we be a people who are known as those who are led by the Spirit. When it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't, might not make sense, it might not go along with whatever else the world is doing. May we be a people who are led by the Spirit. Not so that we can puff ourselves up so that we can push out our chests and show how proud and impressive we are, but so that others might come to know you. So that others might get to taste and see that you are good. So that others might come to know the grace that we know, the love that we know, the the joy that we know. God, challenge our spiritually selfish hearts who sometimes we try to just hoard our relationship with you to ourselves when in actuality it is something and is good news of great joy for all people. God, as we live, we need you. You have made us to be these lights of the world, but so we need you to help us shine. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the, the life and joy and grace and freedom that is found there. May we never ignore it. May we never push past it. May we never consider it childish or simple. But rather, give us a desire to rediscover it, re-remind ourselves, re-engage with it every day. That we might find new ways to experience your love and grace and mercy and joy and justice. Help us to walk by the Spirit so that we do not indulge the desires of the flesh. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.